right, it's Wednesday, March 1st. I am Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. That's MRKT Call. Guy is not here today. I am joined by CBW. That is Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, welcome to Market Call. Welcome indeed. Where is Guy? Is he doing something fun, I hope, or is he? Guy is one of those guys who gets asked to speak at things. You know what I mean? And he's at one of those sorts, uh, one of those events here. So, um, again, he'll be back with us um, tomorrow. But today's market call is brought to you by our fine partners and data analytics partners. They are fact set financial data and analytics powered uh, by tomorrow. They power us here. Um, they're powering me and my charts here, Carter, than you and your analytics and your charts here. So uh, thanks to facts that here. All right, man, let's do it. We got a, we got a lot to cover here. I know Guy is probably disappointed. He'd love to be on the mic today talking about the, the, the Rangers trade for Kane from the Blackhawks here. Um, we are going to be at uh, a game tomorrow night in Madison Square Garden, the two of us. We're going to get to see his debut um, there. So that's exciting for Guy Adami. But right now in the markets, man, it seems like we are in a bit of a holding pattern. It seems like um, we are really in the hands of the data that's coming out. But if you look at all the Fed speak, and there's a lot of it, Carter, this week, it really is higher for longer. That is the message as it relates to rates. And I'm just curious, you know, the S&P has given back, let's say, half of its gains from its highs, right, earlier this month or so. Um, but it seems to be kind of hanging in there, man. Like, talk to me a little bit about that. That's my chart. You know, you see the uptrend. You see the 150-day, mm -hmm. just so you know, people, today, Every moving average in yellow is 150 day. That is an honor of CBW. Thank there you. Go. All the honor to you too. Thank <laughs> you. The uh, I mean, look, I it's a it, it's in many ways as nuanced a moment as any. Which is to say, if something is just in a steady orderly uptrend, we know what to do, or at least in principle, what to do. Stick with it. If something just down to the right and heading out of business, like Enron or WorldCom, we know what to do. To stay short, or to certainly don't be involved in the long side. It's when you're when you're in a moment of equilibrium, when buyers and sellers are matched off, when capital coming into the market, embracing new uh, securities is matched off with money that's exiting, it's tough to figure it out. And that's what really a pair of twos is, right? Meaning it's not a hold. Hold is a Wall Street euphemism for sell. Yep. What it is, is it's just not a particularly good hand. We bet big when the hand is big, a full house, a three of a kind, a straight, but a pair of twos... <laughs> You know, it's not even a pair of eights or a pair of tens. It's basically you're getting down to almost five random cards. And so that's what we've got here. I've got some charts, the S&P, but we might have. Well, here's one of them, but let's start in the beginning. Um, there are no lines, no judgments, no annotations. Now, one way to draw the lines is, of course, seen here. So, yes, we did get above that thing. But a lot of this is just the same way a fundamental analyst will say, well, we're changing our price target from 70 to 74 because we think the gross margins are better, the buyback will be bigger, or, or what have you. Um, you can always change your lines. The lines are meant to be an aid to try to figure out, look at those arrows. So does that mean just because we've overshot now check back that we have to bounce? Well, I would say you do it the next way. You just alter the lines and then all of a sudden look at this next iteration. We're just back in the malaise. Forget the fact that it was strong in, 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 in sort of late January, early February. What we know, and this part is incontestable, when we were at the August peak, Wall Street came out in its infinite wisdom and said, there's a new bull, we've retraced 50% of the decline. And not only was that not the case, it was the single worst time you could have committed capital in the past six months. We went straight down and made new lows in October. What happened in the last days of January? 
in the first days of February when we hit that high, almost 4,200. It's a new bull. We're up 20%, says the Wall Street Journal, and major analysts, and all it's done is gone straight down since. Now, does it mean it has to collapse here? Not really. It's kind of a bad hand. It's a pair of twos. When you've got a bad hand in Texas, hold them, 75% of smart players fold when yeah. they know they've got a, you know, a marginal hand to play. Well, listen, before we get to some longer-term charts in the S&P 500 that you want to take us through here a little bit, you had a great note on worthcharting.com. Check it out, people, on just kind of a, a pretty good explanation going a bit deeper than you just did on what a pair of twos are, and you have plenty of examples of that. So check that out, people. Um, talk to us a little bit about, okay, so we're, we're banging up against that uptrend. We saw that even in my rudimentary chart there. Let's like back it out a little bit. The yeah. financial crisis here. And, and and let me ask you this, Carter, for a lot of people who are watching this right now, what do you place more emphasis on, right? Because we're obviously at a level, you just gave us the foldum sort of thing at that uptrend here, but now you're going to show us, um, you know, a chart going back, you know, almost 15 years or so. And, 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 and is there different periods where you place greater emphasis on short duration charts versus longer duration charts? I'm just curious how you think about that. Right, there isn't. So I'm looking at all time frames as, as much as I can in, in all iterations, meaning this is a log chart versus arithmetic chart. It's weekly bars versus daily. And so what we're what pattern interpretation is it's current price juxtaposed against past price. And that is how you're trying to figure out future price. So let me, if we have a second, let me put this in the in the in the in the fundamentals parlance. If you and I were sitting in a conference room, I've had this many times, right? And someone burst into the room and said, Dan Carter, stock XYZ just reported 14 cents for the quarter. In and of itself, that data point means nothing. It's that data point, that 14 cents earnings for the quarter, juxtaposed against past data. So what if we then learned that all the other quarters for the past 10 quarters were 50 cents, 80 cents, dollar, and it came in at 14? We're like, whoa, this is terrible. Versus someone burst in the room, stock SYG just reported 14 cents. We're like, in and of itself, that data means nothing. But if we look back and said all the other quarters were losses, and it just put it to its first profit of 14, meaning the 14 cents in quarterly results is only relevant in the context of preceding results. And so current price juxtaposed against past price in all time frames is how we figure out future price. So with that, look at this chart. It has no drawings. Let's put in some lines. And what you've got here, and this is incontestable because I didn't manipulate them. They're mathematically parallel lines. If you take the 09 low, financial crisis low, with the COVID low, and you simply then add a, a second and a third line, you have a perfect channel. We went out through the top of that channel, and at that point in 2021, the valuation was as high as the dot-com peak. And, of course, we've given it back half. We're sitting at the midpoint, literally at the midpoint. Put another iteration in, and look what we've got. Very clear. Financial crisis, low. The peak, of course, 11 October 2007. We dropped basically 50%. And there are your lines. So you can... You can see, obviously, if you're bullish, just to get top of the channel, which I think is no chance of that this year in 2023, we would barely make a new high, which is to say the 20 Jan 4, 2022 highs are going to be very hard to exceed, even if you're bullish. Um, and then, of course, do we have to get down to the lower band? We're not even in the lower band yet. We've only been in the lower band twice, the 09 low and the COVID low. I think we continue to work lower into the lower half and ultimately there is the very distinct possibility that we yet again touch down 
at the lower band as we did on the lows of 09 and the COVID low. I'll tell you one thing, man. I mean, that is a pretty fascinating chart. And again, it was a great explanation of just kind of using the the shorter dated um, information, the charts and, and juxtaposing against the longer dated one. And when we spend all this time talking about the October lows at 3550 or whatever, and then the pre-pandemic highs at 3400, the S&P 500, you look at that log chart going back 15 years and you look at the level that we are at, it would just not be that hard for, for us to come by um, mm -hmm. those sorts of levels. So I appreciate that, which leads us to yields here, Carter, because, you know, we've been talking about this. I think we were both on the same side of this um, as we're, we're, was Guy. Last year, we thought we'd see yields come in. We did have the 10-year come, you know, got almost down to three and a quarter. But look at this move, you know, that we've had. You know, it kind of found some support. The 200-day is a little below your 150-day. Um, and, and it was just really, I, I mean, found support right where it should have here. We're kind of consolidating right below this 4%. And again, I, and we can spend a lot of time talking about a round number. It doesn't really mean um, a whole heck of a lot. But if you think about, if we want to kind of back out the 10-year chart here a little bit, um, it hasn't spent a lot of time over 4%, right? And uh, in, in the last, call it, you know, 20 uh, uh, years or so. And so here's a chart that I think is probably the most important one. This is the 10-year yield going back to 1980, and it's a log chart. And why? Well, when you and I were going over these charts before, you had a little pitter-patter in your heart about this one. Well, this is near and dear. What, what, what's going on with the- Well, uh, you, so, you know, I, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm pretty certain of this because I haven't seen it. Um, I think we were trying was the first to introduce a log chart, all data into the written realm of late in the past two years um, for yields. I got a lot of pushback from major portfolio managers. You're trying to do a logarithmic chart on a, an instrument that's a percentage. Um, says who? And of course, I say, well, well, tell me why not. And then they hammer and stammer and say, well, listen. You, as long as you can put lines and draw them, they are valid. And the point is that there are many more touch points, as you know, on the log chart than there are on the arithmetic. But it also puts in context just how not gradual this has been. In an arithmetic chart, it looks like yields have been quietly bottoming and gently. That's not true. It's been hysterical, right? Who would have thought that pandemic low, we'd get to 35 base points, and now we've had this overshoot. So the real question is, do you have you completed the overshoot? That's kind of my hunch. Let me put it in this context. I know that it's all talked to 5% and a little longer, but the irony is that the last day of Q3, September 30, mm -hmm. we were at 3.82%. And here we are in March of 2023, and we're at 3.9599. I mean, I rates really have, for all that's gone on since September, and all of the Fed and all of the data and all of the actual tightening, why are rates barely up from where they were on the last day of Q3, September 30, 2022, 3.82%. And here we are at 395 Yeah. I mean, I guess when you think about the 10-year, um, you know. Now, two it, years different, right? I mean, that's, that's two that's, years. So, and so I guess my point is, is that like, listen, at this point, the Fed and all their speakers and all the governors and everyone out there, it, it seems that the message is very clear. It's higher for longer, right? And so we're going to have in the not-so-distant future, it might overshoot to the upside, but you might not see 10-year yields go meaningfully higher from here, and maybe that is more of a reflection on the potential recession that might come towards the back half of this year. And I think that's kind of the, the main point 
that I would make here. And I'd also make the point is that, you know, you mentioned September 30th when the 10 year was 382. Well, here we are at 399 and we have an S&P that is, you know, 3960 or something like that versus let's say 36. We're up, we're up at least 250 points from the end of Q3. And that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of to me. So I just want to make one other point though here, Carter, is that you saw the headline today about the Chinese data. And again, this was something that I think we've been talking about a lot this year. I mean, the about face that the Chinese did on zero COVID back in January was something that I think took everybody by surprise, right? And so there was a lot of enthusiasm in their stock market. I think it definitely added to the enthusiasm in our stock market. So it's funny on a day like today, when you see this data better than expected, there's only pockets of our market that are reacting pretty well. Right now, the S&P is down 25 basis points. I see big tech more responding to what's going on in the yield market than what's going on in the Chinese market. But I also want to hit, or excuse me, the Chinese economy. Um, but there's also pockets in energy and resources and some industrials that are acting very well. What do you make of that sort of bifurcation right now? So we have high valuation names in our market that are reacting more towards higher yields, but then we have some of these more cyclical kind of areas of our market that are reacting to the data that's better than expected in China. Well, that's right. There's a It's a perfect stacking chart order in terms of the 11 sectors. Uh, top of the heap, the only three that are up are very cyclical, right? Energy, materials, industrials. And leading at the bottom, of course, you've got rate-sensitive names. So it's utilities followed by REITs um, all down on the day. Uh, yes, it's ever thus. There's always this push of money, right? It's like air in a balloon goes from one side to the other. And that speaks to this sort of, right, get back to, which is this pair of twos, where the market itself is equities as an asset class are just stuck, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes kind of things belong at a level. We are all prone to see movement, right? Yep. And we, oh, this is going to break out. And this is going to break down, or this one's going to get better. This one's going to get worse. And no one ever says, this one's just going to do nothing. But yep. sometimes that's what it is. Now, things will come along to inform decision makers. Each of us, we're decision makers, and we act accordingly with our capital. But right now, it's kind of, um, it's what equilibrium is, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, it feels like something's about to give, though, in my opinion, especially if we were to see, you know, the 10 year move, you know, above 4%, maybe hit 4.10%. I could see an S&P that um, mm -hmm. is down probably unchanged on the year. It is interesting that the, you know, price weighted Dow is down on the year. The S&P um, is only up about three and a quarter percent right now. I think it was up, you know, high single digits at its highs. The NASDAQ is down mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, it's got, you know, half of its gains on the year have been um, eviscerated. It's up about eight and a half percent or something like that. Let's talk about retail. You know, sometimes this, this is an interesting one. You know, last week, Home Depot, after they reported and gave guidance and the commentary was, you know, less than stellar, that stock was down 7%. Okay. And, you know, Lowe's was down um, in sympathy with it. A bunch of other retailers were down. Well, here we are today, you know, Lowe's Reported, gave weak guidance, bad commentary. The stock's down six percent. And you look at this thing; it's you know through its 150-day moving average. And and again, you know, not a great few weeks, right? And so just think about what investors were thinking at the start of February when this stock was trading at 225. Okay, and now we have it at 193 and a half. And it just shows you that again, what expectations are um, versus what the kind of likelihood here is of 
just the kind of retail environment in, in a higher rate environment when sa savings rates are coming down, consumer credit's going higher. The other one, Target, you know, again, was trading with Walmart last week when that gave some, you know, muted sort of guidance. But Target, like, assumingly had a pretty decent quarter in guidance relative to expectations. It's giving all of yesterday's gains back and then some. It's at that 150-day um, level. I think that's kind of interesting. And then lastly, this one, I didn't even put any lines on this. This is Costco. And you had this in a great um, piece that you did on Market Call last week as a basket of some of the most important retailers. I mean, look at this thing. I mean, this does not trade well. If you see, if we wanted to annotate it, there would be um, a little bit of a pennant formation. And so, again, that's going to be a really interesting one when they report tomorrow after the close. Talk to us on, on just retail in general. And I know you brought some charts in the XRT, the ETF that tracks the retail space. Yeah, I mean, obviously the retail is such an important part of, um, well, the consumer is such an important part of the market, important part of the economy, job growth, uh, disposable income. And you can get a lot of cues from how these big stocks out, whether they're defensive groceries, like Walmart's essentially a grocery store and Costco, or, or more um, sort of, uh, let's say, discretionary, like Target. But the group, they, they just don't act well. And, you know, uh, th there's great divergence in, in valuation. I mean, Lowe's trades at 14 times, Costco trades at 35 times. Um, but Costco, here too, like what about that? If you could just black out instead of white out, right? Take the name off of it. And you were staring at that. And someone brought that over to your desk and said, look at this one. And you didn't know it was a small cap or large biotech or software, retail or soft. And you, and you said, well, yeah, what? And you said, I got, you got a short. This is fantastic. Really? You got to get long this. Really? What? Based on what? It's just sort of like, yeah, let's, let's, let's just let someone else play with this one for a while. But I'd I, rather be short than long. I, I have a question for you on this chart. Let's leave this up for a second here. Okay. So since the highs, okay, last spring, okay, mm -hmm. you see now. Lower highs, years, higher lows. You know, lower highs. Here. Okay. But let me ask you this. To me, to my eye, to use another Carter-ism here, to my eye, I think the downtrend, the connection of the lower highs looks much more intact than let's say what I see as a series of let's say higher lows because it really does look like the Jan low was below even briefly, you know what I mean, the October low. And so the the series of supposed sure, higher lows. Exactly right. No, you were saying is that meaning also the downtrend is has more duration, right? Yeah. There's more time that's elapsed since April high to present versus the June low to present. But it, it really is just that it's 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 tighter and tighter. You're working into a point where it will become interesting, and then that's what they say. All right, make your bets. My oh. bet would be short. Okay. All right. Let's look at the XRT. You got a bunch of charts here, and these are pretty fascinating, especially when you consider just the breadth of names that are in them. And then when you think about just kind of how much time and energy we spend, you know, talking about some of the biggest names, I think this is kind of interesting. So you're, you're saying there's 94 stocks in the XRT, two and a half trillion dollars in market cap. That's about the size of Apple Computer, the stock. That's right. And what's ironic, of course, is it's that's a lot of stocks, but Amazon which of course makes up maybe you know, almost 25, 30% in the entire consumer discretionary sector, Amazon has a mere 1% weight. Yeah. Meaning it's an equal weight ETF. So it's a, it's a great way. Big names like this, names you know, Costco, Walmart, eBay, Walgreens, you see them. But the highest weighting right now happens to be Carvana, of all things, at 2%. After that, Sally Beauty, Abercrombie & Fitch, Boot Barn, Children's Place. So it's moving all the time, the weightings, but it's meant to capture all retail um, in, in many ways, from Foot Locker to Burlington to Wayfair and so forth. And so let's look at um, a chart of this 
very uh, sort of, I think, useful uh, uh, ETF. Now, there's nothing there. Let's put something there. What do we got? It's not random. You know, it didn't stop to the penny. I mean, within literally a penny because of PE. And it didn't stop just enterprise by EBITDA. And it didn't stop because all the analysts that cover these decided to sell it. It stopped because charts matter, levels matter, and that is what a double top is. And now what? Let's put in some more lines. Broke trend. So now, now what? Does it have to go all the way down? And But here's the thing. Look at that. Talk about working into the apex of a, a moment. That's over. That's since the COVID low. Pull this back even further. Basically, here we sit. So now you say, oh, go, here he goes. You're going to say it's a pair of twos again. You betcha. Meaning we want to bet when the hand is big. And the trick to, is to fold to not play if you can. My bias is down, uh, but we can, you know, we can really try to be big when the moments are big. Yeah, no, I agree. And we've had some big moves in the space also. So um, again, I think this is definitely really an important group to keep following. And, you know, again, some of the data that we're tracking here, I just want to kind of move, um, you know, to uh, this was from Axios this morning. It was U.S. subprime auto delinquency rate. You see this thing, it's hitting um, levels that, you know, it, on a, you know, going back to 10, 2010, I mean, we're, we're hitting levels that we haven't seen since then. I think that's something to keep a note of. And then here is a couple charts. This is from Charlie Bolello, who's a great follow um, on the Twitter. And he has a, a newsletter. He sends out um, a, a bunch of charts once a week here. But this is the change in total debt from three years ago. Um, you see that it's coming up pretty high. And then also U.S. credit card balances year over year change. Um, you know, we're getting to, you know, levels we haven't seen in a very long time. And, and again, I think that kind of helps make the case of what you're seeing in the charts, Carter, um, as it relates to some of these retail names. Um, I wanted this is one that I, just stuck out to me because it's been a bit of an outlier. You know, um, this is AutoNation. And again, this is a company that I often used to compare. And I actually bought it a couple of times over the last few years when Carvana was going crazy because I thought on a valuation basis, I thought their exposure to used cars and what they were doing online and the way that they kind of write loans and everything relative to Carvana. To me, it just seemed like a layup compared to Carvana. If you were to overlay those two stocks, one's going one way, one's going the other. Look at this breakout that it just had, okay, um, you know, a few weeks ago. Did this chart catch your eye at all? This is, you know, going back to 2018 as a five-year chart or so. But, you know, this thing was kind of, you know, back and filling, back and filling. Um, and then just the, the just the kind of the violence of the breakout, it's checked back to that breakout level. Is this something you probably would want to give a little more time to? Or how, how are you thinking about a chart like this? It's an excellent entry point, at least by my work, which is to say, we know the stock broke out. Breakouts are news related. It was a gap on the day. It was exactly a week ago. And what you only go up or down because of news in a big way, and therefore good news or bad news. It had to be good news. It had to be an earnings beat. Or they got FDA approval. Or the chairman that no one liked finally resigned. It doesn't matter what the news is. The stock advances aggressively and now is given back all of that and then some, which is to say you get to buy it at the price before news was released but now you have the benefit of the news. Uh, it's a reaction by point. They speak about this in the 1940s, meaning after a strong, strong move, people react to the strength by what? Taking profits or trying to short it. And that selling pressure not only halts the advance, but forces the stock lower. At some point, there's no more profit takers to emerge and no one's going to short it anymore. It's already dropped from 160 to 135. I would buy it right here. Okay. All right. And let's, let's rip through a few of these because <clears throat> I want to try to get out here at one thirty. Um, 
but we got a, a bunch more stuff to hit. Um, crude oil, um, this is one that we've been talking about a little bit here. Um, you know, again, this seems to be a series of, of higher lows. You see the downtrend. I don't know if that's a great line um, or not. Um, but again, I think it's, uh, you know, not reacting today. It's unchanged on, on the Chinese data. We're seeing other, um, you know, areas that we just talked about that are reacting well. I think that is interesting, though, that crude's not rallying. But we do see, you know, the XLE, which is large integrated um you know that's up a couple percent the oih is up a couple percent thoughts on on the xle here it's right at it's 150 day moving average is this something that you feel you know kind of is constructive a little back and fill sort of action here yeah i, I like actually i'd rather be long crude i think crude has catch-up potential into the mid 80s we're trading here at 77 78 um Drillers remain the area, the OIH type name, Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker versus the big integrateds. Uh, but either way, uh, I think the the most immediate trade is is oil. That gas oh, yeah. is stabilizing, and I think you can play oil long. Yeah, let's throw up the the nat gas, the UNG chart here, because we talked about it a couple of weeks, and 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 again, I think we both agreed. I think Guy was on this. We were just a little early here. It did make um a new low, but it really has. If you <clears throat> we can back this out to five years, the the twenty twenty lows were somewhere about eight and a quarter or so, um, and we got got there, and now we're kind of. It looks like. This really does look like you had that test after we made you made the call. Technically, guy liked it fundamentally. I looked at it and looked at the options. It looks good to me. But you're still on this one. There's nothing that that changes your mind on the UNG right here. Yeah, playing playing for more. Just one of the more extreme um, readings in the series for Nat Gas. Uh, worst month, second worst month ever. A month ago, you know, down some 50, 60 percent um, in a matter of again a handful of months. It's just playing for mean reversion, playing yep. for a bounce. Okay, cool. Um, another area, resource stocks are trading pretty well today, again, on that Chinese data. Let, let's look at this Alcoa. This is not one that we talk about um, a whole heck of a lot. Up seven and a quarter percent today. Um, you see the uptrend. You see it held its 150-day moving average. Is this one, I mean, there's a little overhead resistance here, I guess, in the high 50s. Is this one that, that catches your eye at all? Yeah, you know, perchance we it touched down to the 150, um, just briefly went under it. Um, if you look at the intraday charts and, and bounce, we put out a note on that last week, and I think this is one of the best setups in the market, uh, large long. Okay, all right, and here's another one. This is Freeport, um, and I thought this was interesting. I used a, a five-year chart on this one because there was nothing in the in the it, there, there were no trend lines to be drawn in my to my eye at mm -hmm. the time, Carter. But this one looked kind of interesting to me, and you see what I'm kind of doing here. You see that kind of rising um, 150 day. It's about 32 bucks or so. I don't know. This one feels like it, it just looks a little different to me um, than the Alcoa. That that looks like a constructive kind of bottom forming. This does not have that feel well in the sense that right alcoa never participated in, and and freeport came ripping back to life largely due to the gold move right mm -hmm. so um whereas alcoa is still nascent freeport had a massive bounce uh, such a bounce that it got back to what you've annotated here is the left shoulder of a perspective head and shoulders top i you know for it to play out as that is implied you're talking about freeport down into the 20s 19 and that almost definitely would be a hard recession yeah yeah no doubt um china okay. collapse and everything else but yeah i mean this one was not <clears throat> as obvious but I, I like your call on alcoa um i just there was a headline in 
Axios this morning about brisk, uh, brisk restaurant sales here. And I thought this was kind of interesting if you saw that grocery store sales were kind of trending lower and restaurants had just picked up. And, you know, uh, I think we talked about it last week, that Domino's result. And again, this is quick serve here, but, um, you know, was not particularly great. It's at a really, I, I would say, important level going back to 2019. I'm sure um, this is probably one at this point is not particularly interesting to you. But I wanted to hit you on McDonald's, which has shown really good relative strength here. It's holding its 150 day. It was below it a little bit here. Carter, thoughts on, on, on this one? Because again, you know, that dollar that's firmed up a little bit is a bit of a headwind, maybe some weaker parts of the world, that sort of thing. But um, this stock, this stock hangs in there. It looks pretty constructive. Yeah, well, just for sure, if we can go to Domino's first, just for that, because you're putting in one versus the other. Domino's was one of the biggest beneficiaries of COVID. And yeah. at its peak, it was trading at 45 times. That's a chart of the stock price. 45 times earnings. That's because everyone's sitting at home and these guys are bringing you pizzas. Now, I don't think there's anyone on the planet that thinks it's the greatest pizza, right? It just happens to come quick at a decent price. And look, I've had my share, but it is what it is. <laughs> this is just the unwind, right? Uh, it, it, it's a natural thing. It's It was a very expensive stock. By contradistinction, right, McDonald's is, <laughs> it's the world's cafeteria. I mean, you cannot... <laughs> with the exception of maybe Domino's or something, you cannot get cheaper hot food anywhere and reliably cheap and in your mouth for uh, this price. I like McDonald's, not because I like McDonald's. It's also had my share. It's a sell-off to a level of support. All right, fair enough. Um, I appreciate that. Um, let's move a little bit here. This is one, I, I, I think I know what you're going to say here, but I find this headline kind of interesting for two reasons. So I, I uh, every morning I read uh, Ben Thompson and Stratechery here, and he had a note about Snapchat, not a name that he talks about too frequently, but um, this is a company that just released a chat bot on their platform. It might be a subscription service. He likes it here. And, and this is a guy who's a well-followed um, uh, tech commentator. And, you know, I, I've liked Snap for a couple of different reasons right now. One, I think there's a really high likelihood that TikTok gets banned here in the U.S. in the not-so-distant future. I think Snap will benefit from that, from digital ad dollars going that way. But also, I think, from eyeballs, um, uh, you know, greater um, time spent on their platform. So that one looks interesting to me. You know, this company, they are cutting anything that's not bolted down here. They still have a product where they announced when in their earnings last month, they have 750 monthly active users. And there's very few social platforms that are not owned by Google or Facebook that have that sort of usage, okay? And so to me, I just think this is kind of a cheap, unique, um, you know, it's kind of scarce asset. They're losing money on a gap basis. So things are not great here. Thoughts here, because I listen, if you back this thing out and, and I'm going to back it out to its 2017 IPO, you know, it made lower lows in 2019. It was trading five bucks. OK, so here it is at 10. Is this, you know, something that if you had a fundamental bent and you could kind of get behind it, you could think about this thing or is the chart just just so bad it's not good? Right. Well, it is. It, it, how would I say it? Um, it has all the elements of something that is starting to stop going down, right? It's mm -hmm. not an enduring base so far. It's not a, a lot of time, but it has basically found its footing. And I think it's an asymmetrical setup. If you're wrong, it's every possibility there will be. You just kind of get stuck. Bought it at 10, it goes to nine, goes to 11, back to eight, back to 10. God, we're wasting time. But it doesn't feel as though, you know, you come in here at 10, all of a sudden it's six, five, we got big problems, lost a lot of money. 
On the upside, whereas I think it can just muddle here, that's the downside risk, not a lot, it can be something that's very asymmetrical and that with a little luck and a little good, uh, well, uh, good results, uh, some stabilization, things you mentioned, that many users and not yeah. outside the Google, whatever it might be, you can see this kind of thing, and we've seen it all the time, come to life and pay off big. I mean, if Carvana can go up what it's done in Wayfair, these things are up 40, 50, 60, why can't snap? And so it's a speculative circumstance. I would do it. The street ironically hates it. You know, there's 45 analysts that cover it and 32 of them have holds, which means to say they don't know what, what to do with but it. I, but I see that's the I think, stuff. I that think that's I, great. That I yeah, I love that. You know, I'll tell you what I bought a little bit today. I'm not long the stock, um, you know, and I, I bought a little of the uh, April uh, 12 calls. They were offered at 50 cents. And, and again, that is way out of the money. Um, so think about that. You need a move to twelve and a half dollars in you know six weeks or so um, to make money um, on a percentage basis. That's a lot. But to your point, a couple things go right. That's just kind of a placeholder for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so let's see how it acts between now and then. I'm willing to risk that um, at some point. I might cut the court on that and then just start to buy some stock if it's you know meaningfully below 10 it got down to nine dollars after their earnings in january and um but it was briefly there in the aftermarket and then the open the next day in the actual session at 10 so that's where it is right now that one's interesting to me all right last one before we get out of here lots of comments here sorry guys we could not get to all of um, your comments or, or many. We're trying to incorporate some of the stuff that we see in there. Um, but today is te uh, Tesla's investor day. And this is a big one. And the stock seems to be levitating in and around this $200 level. It's up about 100% from that January low, about $100. And, you know, I tweeted this earlier today. You know, I was just kind of looking at what expectations are for earnings this year. And, and again, you know, this stock is going to need to start to, at least investors are going to need to focus a little bit more on that E, um, in my opinion, when you think about the valuation, $650 billion, uh, market cap company. You know, right now, Carter, uh, earnings are expected to be flat year over year, okay, to last year. And, and again, yeah, the stock was down a lot last year, but it's also up um, a lot from its recent lows. And when I think about the fact that the consensus, this is per fact set, has sales up 26%, margins down a few points. We know that they've been heavily discounting. This this stock to me is not pricing the potential for a recession and the potential for, let's say, kind of more competition in China, in my opinion. And that goes to that flat earnings expectation. I actually think that earnings number could be down this year and that sales number is probably a little too aggressive, which brings me to the chart. I didn't even just do anything to this one. You see that 150-day moving average. It's kind of at a level here. And then I just put one line in there, Carter, if you want to look at this. And this goes back to that kind of late May low. And that's that kind of $200 level. It was also the level where when it broke, in, in, in late November, early December, I mean, it got cut in half. You know what I mean? So I'm curious how you're thinking about this thing because I know that you're kind of on my side. I don't think you're as aggressive as I might be here. I am long the TLSQ and I'm also long calls, which would mean that this stock, I'm looking for a move of 15, 20% lower in the next few weeks. That's the way I'm positioned right now. Yeah, I, I have it as a large short, meaning you, you've had a big move, a double, uh, to a difficult level. Right? What that means is a difficult level is where prospectively shareholders act. So what does that mean? You encounter memory. Having recovered losses, massive losses, you induce those who've had their losses yeah, recoup, yeah. right, to sell. That's one type of memory. People who bought poorly, not their fault, who now have had the chance to and will take it, many of them, to get out, to be made whole. But you've got memory from below. 
Whoever bought this, dumb luck or brilliance, the most astute hedge fund manager, George Stone himself, or the most hapless e-trader. When you buy something in 100 and they flip the cards over and show you 200, a lot of people say, man, I should grab this. This is just gambling. And so you're at a very difficult level. Uh, I'm a seller. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, listen, there's a, you know, I'm looking at the, the comments. There's a guy named Edmund in here. Um, hey, listen, Edmund, just le leave your crap comments out of there. I mean, if you want to be critical about our analysis or my analysis or my views on this, that, or whatever, I just think like cluttering the, the comment section. It's okay. Edmund's probably never bought or sold it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I get, listen, I'm happy to have all different sorts of folks with all different sorts of opinions in here. And we're trying to look at the comment section. We're trying to comment on stuff, but like your stuff is not particularly um, constructive and I'm not trying to get anybody to sell anything. This is just what we do, man. I'm active in the markets. I'm out here talking about them every day. I'm trying to be really transparent, whether it be on market call or our podcast or on fast money. So, um, I, you know, Edmund, if that's even your real name, um, you know, kind of, uh, just chill out, man. We're trying to keep things real in that comment section. So listen, I appreciate it, Carter. We really appreciate you being here sure. for the full show while Guy is out. That's going to do it to, uh, today for today's market call. Um, thanks to our sponsor, FactSet, um, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. We will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern with Liz Young. She is EY from SoFi. And of course, we will be looking at John Butter's um, earnings insight from FactSet. So thanks for everybody, even you, Edmund, for being here uh, today on a Wednesday. Thanks, Carter. Really appreciate it. So and to the uh, great guy, Adami, Audi 5000. Audi 5000. Thanks, man. Hey, I'm going to see you on Fast Money tonight. All right? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, bud. Bye. Bye.